Welcome to the Bad Christian Podcast, everybody. I think I wrote a song that might be a hit. Welcome. It's called Crack Kills. Sometimes you're underwear. Get stuck in a crack on your ass. Sometimes you're underwear. Matt, has this ever happened to you? Let's take it up a notch. <laughs> you have to wait to pull it out your butt. <laughs> that is good. Nice song, Toby. Uh, speaking of songs, we are playing our first show of tour tonight mm. in Charleston, South mm. Carolina, at the ah. Music Farm with Hawthorne Ooh, Heights. Place. And we're doing everything we can at the moment you're hearing this to squeeze in a sound check, rehearsal, set, change, order, everything you got to do at the beginning of the first day of tour. And, of course, as always, there's a noise ordinance. When you need extra time, you get a noise <laughs> ordinance that makes you not be able to make a peep until 5 p.m. with your job, right. which, which is to be on stage playing with a bunch of technical stuff and a whole package full of bands. In a, in a, doors are in an hour and from now if you need to set them from there, but you can't make yep. a sound until 5 o'clock. That Isn't seems that normal. crazy? That People, seems great. People love noise and hate it. The exact same. It's just unbelievable. Like you, I mean, you you want the noise. We're in a city, a city that is world renowned, and you can't make noise. Uh, I mean, in a building that there aren't other downtown. connected buildings. There's not other connected buildings to it. It's downtown, it's an independent building in a parking lot, and, in a major yeah. city where you would think you would value, you know. Like, why do people want to live near cities? What's one of the reasons they say? <laughs> it's bustling, right? <laughs> you know, like, oh, I go to, I live in, so why you need to live in a city? Well, there's a lot more culture. You see, there's oh. theaters and there's live music. And there's all, and there's I all fall asleep stuff to the happening. traffic at night. Yeah. yeah. Instead, the regulators and the people that like to control people want yeah. empty, quiet, calm, peaceable office buildings everywhere. Yeah. That's what is important. It's exactly people like all of our families. Like Rod Hansen, Reva, your dad, he wants a noise ordinance. My dad, Tommy, he wants he wants the noise down, boy. Five o'clock, hold on. We're, we, there's people working at five o'clock. This is America. We clock out at five. We don't. If four forty three, I don't need to hear your F sharp, Matt Carter. How about a snare through drum? Distorted. The echo of a snare drum that echoed off a parking garage through the window of your building, uh, and the sound check is that going to ruin your workday? I'm trying to get stuff done. Maybe, maybe you can uh, play your whatever guitar you got there. And but I got work to do. The, the the Roper report just came in. I work at a lawyer lawyer's office, and I got to get this thing done. And I'm going to get it done. So I don't need you. I don't need background music while I get my work done, sir. Well, it's not as if you're on a the Roper phone report. call with a high powered <laughs> client, and the client is going. What is that goddamn snare drum? Know, right? That's not. It's not that loud to where you are. I assure you, it's something that we, we lost might the account. Notice as slightly annoying in the distance. That's what we're talking about. We want to shut down. Oh man! Oh, the it, people are so. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. People really get it, it, when I worked at two churches. 
people were very uncomfortable about level noises like decibels. I mean, you had to have uh, earplugs. We that provided earplugs for people. Me angry right now. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's because just it's too loud. It's a power they control it. thing. It's not an audio thing. It's not a sound thing. I know. It's a, I control you. Right. It's too loud, and I'm going to sh- prove to you how loud it is. I have to have earplugs. By acting uh, indignant that you would do that. If how I let you have you? your way, you would. What? What would I do? If I had my way and could make it check my sound at church or right. play it to the level where you might get engagement from people, what would happen exactly? I know. That, that that needs to be said at your threshold, which happens to be the lowest threshold of anybody you can find. Why would that be the threshold we said anything at? An extreme end of an uptight person. Is that where we set our thresholds? It's shocking to me. I'm I mean, not saying it, anarchy. Uh, How about the middle? How about just the middle of what everybody right. thinks is the right thing? You can be extreme, but you shouldn't accept you shouldn't expect the threshold to be set at the extreme where you are, you right. nut idiot. There's- That's why, you, I mean, older people, older white people at the churches, couldn't, they couldn't handle it so much. You had to have, you had to let them know this is the contemporary service. <laughs> <laughs> That's the word you had to use for acoustic guitar, maybe an electric guitar and a drum set behind glass and, you know, plastic shield. Uh, I mean, you had to let them know. It's just so funny. And part of that, you're right. Now that I, in retrospect, I think about it, it is about control. That stuff's too loud. That's not how I, we worship God. We don't want that element like that. around here. Drum something. and bass. They really hate that. Isn't that interesting? The they o- older white ev- ear, evangelicals yeah, hate drums and bass. Huh. Yeah, the sound pressure level is but a, a, a medium in which to express their control, their asshole, right. whatever's inside of them. But I'll go farther than to say, here's the posture I've always had. It's always been this. Well, I know I'm bad, and I know I'm stupid, and I know I'm trying to do bad things and get away with stuff like this. Right. So could you please let me? And I just, <laughs> I don't have that view anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, don't, I don't really always hold that view, but that's, the, right. that's my always starting point is, well, I'm the one trying to do my thing and get, Make no do all the bad stuff, and I hope the adults will let me or something. But yeah. now I do not think that way. I think, I, in a bolder sense, I would say, which is the more culturally relevant, important thing to be doing for the advancement of society? Maybe what I'm doing, the art, the entertainment, the connection, the community, the creation, maybe that is the important stuff. And whatever you're doing in your call center where you're robo-calling people or right. suing them or whatever stupid-ass uh, medical billing you're doing that is poorly mismanaged <laughs> that nobody cares about, including the people doing it, I guess that's the important thing? No. That's wrong. You, well, no. And you're, setting, and you're trying to control, you know, it's, it's, a, whole, it's a whole thing is screwed up. It's the whole well, thing I will say up. this, the charismaniacs, charismatic churches I grew up in, I think they abused this, but does nobody understand that uh, power and energy and importance rely on volume? 
Like that, <laughs> that, that, that is volume of stuff actually really is important when you when you worship your God or you make something or you create something. There's a reason why uh, on fourth down and two, the crowd is losing their mind. The crowd's been there the whole time. Why in that moment would you be so loud? Because it's really important and you really are bonding together. You're all using the same thing, your voice, your hands clapping, whatever you can to make noise to do something to stop that other team or, or make your team get the first down or whatever. And that's just sports. I mean, with, with your guys, warriors stomp, boom, cha, ah, you know, Yo, that, yeah. that, that, that thing is intimidating. Can you keep that down, it, please? It, yeah. Yeah. We know we're going to war. We know we need energy. We know we need the tribe. Excuse me. Up. I'm trying to create the plans here for the war. Can you keep down your, uh, uh grunting? It's just it like be the plans on. for the war. Those people would never, ever tell you not the people creating the plans for the war would never tell you to keep it down they would say no. get them fucking fired up yeah the people that are trying to do the other stuff off to the side that probably thought the war wasn't so good or they were yep. just trying i don't know what the other mentality would be that would tell them to keep it down in that scenario but the people making the war plans if they understood anything at all would be saying can we get more drums right because we got we need to go in here intense so more drum. Why would you play music at battle instead of give them guns for a, not for no reason, right? Not for no reason that you spend training, effort, resources, and human bodies on drums and flags and that stuff in military. Surely more fighters would be more valuable, right? Yeah. No, turns out not. <laughs> turns out, and there's no way that that stuff would exist if right. it wasn't valuable and real and work. It's important. It, the guy with the pushback is everybody a snare is, drum in his hand than a gun. But Matt, Kevin in uh, 201C that lives right below me plays Tom <laughs> Jones at 4 a.m. in the morning, and I'm trying to sleep. Is that when drums and bass should be happening and the loud hooting and hollering? I like Tom Jones as much as anybody, but there's times where it's important to be quiet. What happens when somebody, you're, you just put uh, Cosmo down, you put Eugene down, for a nap, you want how loud do you want uh, the distortion guitar in the living room to be played? I mean, think See, of how extreme you it don't would have care to about be other people. For, think of how extreme it would have to be for me to call the cops on my neighbor because they were playing drums. Think about what volume right. that would actually be before I made that call. <laughs> it, would be, it would be way louder than most people. I can't. Uh, of course, it would. And it I would don't be think a I rock should concert. <laughs> but neither should the asshole. Uptight person on the other end. Right. That's not right. right. Yeah. Sound ordinances are, might as well, what are we in? Footloose? You can't dance legally? What <laughs> yeah, in the hell are they talking about here? This is Charleston, South Footloose, Carolina. That's it. Good God. But that's A noise just, ordinance. Yeah. My God. You wait to, uh, we're going to turn it up extra loud tonight, Matt. You wait to see. I'm going to make sure, I'm going to sneak on stage before you go up and you wait to see how loud your, your amp is. You mean tonight. like at 445? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. That'll be so crazy. What a rebel. But 15 minutes before quitting time for somebody. You're going <laughs> to. No one cares. No. So, some person complained a long time ago, and that one person ruins everything. That's what this is. One person ruins it for everybody. A small group of people ruins everything for everybody. Always have, always will. And that's what it is. One 80 year old woman heard a symbol one time at 3.30 p.m. and lost her shit and complained. And everybody's like, oh, hell, we got to. She's pretty important around here. And I, I know. And that, that's just what it is. That's all I think there's one this step is. in between. Yep. And it 
it probably goes like this. An uptight person full of resentment finds something to go complain about. Everybody knows that. Your mother-in-law is that way. Whatever. Yep. Of course that person complains. So that doesn't change anything. So that resentful, sick person goes and finds more resentful, sick person to commiserate with. Right. Instead of do anything or solve anything or anything else, they find more people to complain with. Then they band together, and they're, and it's nasty. If you heard them, you would go, ugh. And they're, they're, they have bitterness and resentment, all that kind of stuff. But then they go, but now we want to get action done together. So then they put on the nicest face, go to the highest morality, and start uh, lobbying together with a group called a coalition for the, uh, for the advancement of Charleston to make it tourism friendly and turn it into a political thing of all smiles right. of how they're thinking of the children and the families and stuff like that. And then they put some higher up politician, local asshole thinks, Ooh, I can, that's my demographic. How can I? And then they make some noise ordinance that makes it look like we're going to make Charleston wonderful for visitors and family. And it sounds like that when it's right. Done. And then who, I, who, then who are you to oppose it? Uh, okay, we don't have time to get into it today, but maybe we'll bring this up on the next episode. But think about this. I had this thought the other day. Uh, have you heard about the Netflix Brazil did the gay Jesus show? It's like a comedy troupe or something. They just did a, something about Jesus being gay, I think. I don't know the whole story, so I'm probably butchering this. But And so, so many Christians are canceling their Netflix accounts and all this stuff. I have, I've had family members say, you know, recommend us quitting Netflix and all that stuff. But there's a thing called Pure Flix that is just for Christians. Have you ever heard of this? It's called Pure Flix it. and it's just it's just Christian entertainment. And I and I started thinking like it so one thing happens in Brazil and you have to get rid of your whole Netflix as if uh, CBS is okay and NBC and AB the network TV like whatever some inter- Pure Flix is fine, but is there any chance like Pure Flix funded that gay Jesus thing? Because now they're just probably all these Christians oh, are headed dude, right over there. That's, right? That is really Wouldn't that not be out smart? Of the realm of possibility. That's a great strategy. That's the right type of strategy that unfortunately does work. I mean, that's what's wrong with right. the world is that kind of thing. But I don't know that they did that. But I'm sure their subscriptions go up from such. Oh, things. yes. And business. It's the greatest be, thing that ever happened to your business. Justify the means. They'd say if we make a gay Jesus film. <laughs> and put it on we, Netflix, right. it'll cause more of the evil people to go the evil way, and it'll cause more of the good people to come our way. To so come in our the end, way. the ends justify the means. We save right. more people. By, people are a, able to do gymnastics like that. That's a conspiracy but, theory, but... Uh, so a couple things, though. First of all, <laughs> I think my Southern accent's worse than yours, but there's the times when you eclipse me, people notice. And for what? sure, Toby has a much stronger accent than me on, was it oil? 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 oil. When did we say that? All. And also, Brazil. <laughs> Toby's Brazil is really good. It's, rewind and listen to Toby say Brazil. That is pure. It's really good. Say it again. Brazil. Yeah, that, that's yeah. it. So, Brazil. You won't be able to say it naturally now, but no. rewind, skip back 30 seconds and, and listen to Toby's Brazil. I love it. <laughs> okay. And I was just trying to do the intro and say that 5 p.m. noise ordinance thing, and then I was going to drop the tour dates. Oh, but sorry. now here we are, ready for the, the guests to come on. So Matt Brady's going to be on in a second. So, yes, tonight is the first tour date. We are in Charleston. But where else are we going? We're going to Savannah tomorrow. And then, then who's got it? Uh, well, there? we're going to Columbia, then Savannah, then Jacksonville, then Ocala, and then Fort Lauderdale, I think. Reba, like and, yep. And then... Uh, Pensacola. And then uh, New Orleans, you know, which is, uh, you know... New Orleans is going to be kind of fun and wild. And then I don't know where else after that. Memphis? Memphis. Well, Memphis, and, yep. and so these are all party cities. 
Jacksonville's already sold out, so uh, 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 you missed it. We are going to party there with, like, I'm going to say uh, some ginger ale and some uh, maybe some Diet Cokes. Uh, are we really else? not going to drink at all? I don't know, man. I'm, I'm okay just, with I, it. I mean, I, I'm I not worried I, about that. I, I mean, I don't. I, if we want to set an allowance I, for drinking every other day on the first week of tour, I hope nobody would call us a hypocrite for the BC69 Challenge if we do that. But well, I'm okay to not do that. Too. I think I'm going to do uh, two days of alcohol, potentially, either way, and see if I can do it. All right, and we'll see. Okay. I don't know if I can do that anyway, but I think I, I want to do it in a, a manageable way. I don't want to. I don't do anything, and then all of a sudden I can do anything uh, two yeah. months from now. So yeah, I, yeah. I said that in the group. If you're in the, doing BC sixty nine challenge or some type of behavioral change, um, if you want to do the BC sixty nine challenge, it's the next sixty nine days starting. It already started, I guess. Uh, started yeah, a couple started of days ago. People, by the time yeah. this comes out, but uh, you can you need to join the you could do it on your own or you can join the BC club and do it with our community the BC 69 challenge and it is uh there's about 150 people in there I don't know that they're Good all doing God. it and we all have customized plans but an important thing um that I posted in there about is that the plans have hard edges so it's whatever rules you set for yourself having them be trackable and knowable is what will give you the the it, the ability to be motivated by your success across time so don't make it slim down on my alcohol intake, set something and stick to it across all the categories. So we're doing a, some mental, some physical and a, a, a few different things, but I'm doing a screen know. time thing for me, whatever it is, but it's, it's a behavioral modification kind of thing that we're going to spend 70 days training ourselves and proving to ourselves that we can train ourselves and then go from there. It's not something yeah. along that lines, but, um, I won't belabor it here. But go to the BC Club if you've been wanting to, to do that or are more curious about that. Join through there, and then you can do it with our community. Or make up your own thing. It's loosely based on the Hard 75 if you want to do it externally, but I recommend that type of thing. Um, okay, so tell us about the guest, Toby. Well, I love the TV show Rick and Morty, and I stumbled upon uh, Matt's book, Matt Brady, his book. It's called The Science of Rick and Morty. And uh, so, yeah, I just thought this would be really fun to talk about the science. And he's also a high school science teacher. And so we always talk about education and, and how people receive and understand uh, and learn. And so I think this is going to be a really good combo to talk about that. And I mean, it's a crazy show. And he's wrote a book on it. And he's a high school teacher in North Carolina. How'd he get away with that? <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, let's see if we've got him. Uh, Matt, can you hear us? Are you there? Yeah. I'm still at school today, so I had to figure out a, a, a quiet place to find here with <laughs> students all around. We are glad to have you on the podcast here. So you're kind of, uh, I feel like with seeing you in your current environment and who you are, we're kind of in the belly of the beast, so to speak. You're in a school, in a classroom, and we're the misfits over here that don't belong in the school in yeah, the classroom. I, I, I'm feeling like anxiety just from yeah. seeing the paneling on the ceiling that you're in the room that you're in. <laughs> the institutional acoustic tiles. All right. Mm -hmm. And you're you're in North Carolina, right? That's right. I am. Where where at North Carolina? Um, uh, Winston Salem. Okay. Yeah, I, I just moved to Charlotte. Yeah, I just okay. moved to Charlotte, and we're from Greer, South Carolina, originally. Matt and oh, I. Oh, okay. So yeah, we're down. We're we know well where you live. Yep. Um. I stumbled upon, uh, across you because I saw this book, uh, The Science of Rick and Morty, The Unofficial Guide to Earth's Stupidest Show, which is, I just love that title, first of all, just because <laughs> it, it's also not the stupidest show. You know, like it is and not. And so that, that I don't know if that was an intentional play on words there, but I just love that. Well, there's a story behind the title. Um, it was originally picked up by a UK publisher. 
um, that, that was the company that made the deal and they came up with a title and they said, well, we've got the title for the book. You want to see it? I'm like, sure. And I saw it and it was, you know, the guide to Earth's stupidest show. And I'm like, we're going to have some issues with that because I don't <laughs> think any audience member of Rick and Morty think the show is stupid. Right. And um, my editor said, well, one, think of it in the British way that we say it. We don't say it with derision. We say it, oh, that, that you know, Monty Python, that stupid thing that was on TV in the late 60s and 70s. You know, they, they kind of say it with a, almost a teasing way. And, and he said, two, that's the title. Deal with it. So wow, I was stuck with the title. And, you know, I thought, oh, when this comes over, when Simon & Schuster pick it up to publish the American version, yeah, that's, that's always the first question. On, on many interviews, that's been the first question of... What would you have preferred? What would you have preferred for a title if you if you got to title your own book? I'm just good with the science of Rick and Morty. I think that kind of explains it. Um, I don't know. I'd have to think about a subtitle. Um, Crazy Adventures in Time and Space and the Universe. Something along those lines. It's funny, too, because you are, uh, and this is what kind of was really drew me to you. You're a is it high school uh, science yep. teacher, a high school science teacher. And so have you... And you you, have you been a teacher your whole career? Were you doing something else before that? Or? No, I was, I was, I've been a teacher for 11 years now. Um, before this, before that, I um, co-founded and ran the comic book news or entertainment news website called newsarama.com. Um, that's still up and running, but I ran that for uh, 10 years with a buddy. Um, that we founded it, and it was the, for a while, it was the biggest comic book news website on the internet. And uh, we sold that. And I had been in science before that. I had a master's in marine biology um, and majored in biology. So after I sold it and was looking for something else to do, I thought, you know, I'm going to go back to science. And I've always wanted to, to teach. And my parents are teachers and my wife was teaching by that point. So just kind of moved right back over. That's oh, interesting. Cool. So, Toby, let me set up real quickly yeah. for him the uh, characters that he's talking to so as we go through the rest yeah. of the conversation. I am a person who's always been a fan of science uh, since I was you know, very young. Like uh, The Brief History of Time, I watched that when I was really little and absorbed a great deal of it when I was probably eight or something, and uh, or was fascinated by it when nothing else could really hold my attention. I went to school for biology and uh, was in pre-med and then realized that the tedium of that I was facing and quit and started doing music. So I found Toby, who could never be interested in science, and I've been trying to tell him about it for 20 years. And he never yeah. will never listen to me, no matter what I want to talk about science, I, just like I everybody else. I like Star Trek The Next Generation because <laughs> I thought the Borg were scary. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden, Toby starts telling me about all this scientific stuff on Rick and Morty and how much the show is so good and he I got to watch Rick and Morty and and, and I check it out and it's just a show about science yep. and so I'm thinking well, what the hell I, wh why have I failed so badly at at this and and at the heart of it what does it mean what is this drive that science communicators have it's such a crazy situation to be in because people it, it's just a weird thing to to feel like you want to tell people stuff that blows your mind and they get mad about it. That's the way I feel. And it seems like the problem you're trying to solve. So thus yeah. join the conversation here and help us untangle it. <laughs> yeah. Well, well kind of you, 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 I think we're, we're headed down the road that I travel all the time is this idea that pop culture and even with the mention of Star Trek in there, the idea that pop culture can be used as an introduction to, to science is it, it, it's a potent idea and it works really well. I use it in my classroom all the time. Um, gosh, I 
go back in my classroom, I have uh, Star Wars and Black Panther and Flash and Back to the Future movie posters up on the walls and action figures. Um, I, I use a lot of pop culture references uh, because it's something that my students are familiar with. And so they feel some kind of ownership or they feel some kind of familiarity. And from there, it's not that many short steps to, well, let's talk about, you know, more science behind it or the real science or what would it be like if we could actually do this one of my i told my principal here one of my lifelong quests as a science teacher is to figure out i mean if you remember spider-man's origin he was he's a kid in high school and in his chemistry class he figured out to find the ingredients in a chemistry lab to make his webbing i don't know what kind of high school he was in i've looked up different recipes and messed with some stuff. I can't quite get it out. But that kind of idea of, you know, well, I saw this in Spider-Man. I read this in a comic. This was kind of cool. Can you really do that? Well, let's look at the real science behind it. And so that's that was kind of the approach with with Rick and Morty as well of the science, put the air quotes on the science of Rick and Morty that's actually in the show. Maybe not 100% accurate, but at the same time, it, it has its roots in real science. It has its roots in real phenomena that, that, that's there. And so by using that cartoon as a kind of a, a Trojan horse to get into people's brains, Trojan then horse. we just wait you know, for, for night to fall, and then all the science comes out and <laughs> runs around in their brain. Well, why is that important for people that want to like, watch cartoons to learn science? Why even? I mean, they don't care. They just like cartoons. I, I Why think do you got to make them it's learn important. science? It's important for everybody to learn science. Major Why? Wallace, we live... That's on my end. See, I told you I went to school. Apparently, Major Wallace needs to get to his room. Um, I, I, it's important for everyone to know science. You know, you have... We live in such a... I think it was Carl Sagan that said, and I'm paraphrasing, we live in an age of such high, high technology... And at the same time, people don't understand the technology and uh, flip to any page of the news that you can see that right now, as we're recording this, a lot of Australia is on fire and there's a disinformation campaign going on saying, no, it's not climate related, that it's arson, which is false. And Australia's government is trying to downplay the whole idea of climate change and climate change doing something bad to Australia. Um, Australia is baking its way into Mad Max, and a large part of that is due to climate change. Not enough people understand this, not enough people know this, and therefore you have a large audience that can be manipulated into believing what you want them to believe, what benefits you in a way. So that's my kind of a uh, little bit controversial way of saying that everybody needs to understand a lot more science. And do you think Rick and Morty is doing that or that's their goal and then let's talk about the show it, it's certainly not their goal their goal is to make a fun show their goal is to tell funny stories and and get people laughing and coming back week after week or month after whenever the next episode will be on um and so yeah they're they're just trying to tell a show they're trying to make a story uh, or, or a series of of funny shows um I don't think anybody's coming to Rick and Morty looking for a science show. I think they're, they're coming to Rick and Morty to be entertained. What kind of my goal is, is to find those people who watch Rick and Morty and go, boy, that idea of multiple universes is pretty cool. I'm the guy then over in the corner of the room going, hey, hi, multiple universes, they probably really exist. And here's, here's some information and here's some ways of thinking about them. And 
here's the ins and the outs and the ups and the downs and the the problems that we're going to have if we ever try to prove that multiple realities or multiple universes do exist. But there's a lot of of scientific reasoning and and theory kind of going into this idea that yeah, we probably live in a multiverse, not a single universe. And from there, let that person, let that fan who just thought they were watching an animated series about a crazy grandfather and his grandson, let them take it from there. Let them go on the internet and look up multiple universes and well, parallel Matt, worlds. But, he, but here's okay. So, it, bo, I mean, this goes to both mats. Well, I got two mats on here that are, <laughs> are both smarter than me and both know science way better than me. This show, Matt and I were talking about this before when we were preparing for this podcast because I just was drawn to the show, and I think part of it is the narrative of it. It it introduces science to me in a way that doesn't feel oppressive or just like uh, oppressive, a per- uh, or a, just like a person reading <laughs> facts to me at the front of the classroom. You know what I mean? Like, well, like when I think, think I, I went to high school many, many years ago, uh, but I can just remember like my biology class, for example, and it just felt like. It was so it, the the teacher was so uninterested in the material, and it, there was no there was no next step. So so when you if I was at a party and you started talking about multiple universes, I'm fascinated. I'm really into it. I can go about another minute before all of a sudden it's just you talking, and I don't know what to do next. You know what I mean? Like that, it's it's intimidating. I think that that's the problem with like I like Rick and Morty because. It is funny. It doesn't take itself too seriously. And you know that, that the main character, Rick, is an unbelievable genius that nobody's as smart as. So he doesn't feel as intimidating. No one else. Of course, I'm not. But y'all aren't either as in, in the storyline as smart as him. So I think that's the thing that that hurts me with uh, or, or has hurt me as a wanting to learn science. It's not that I hate science. I think it's really neat. I, I'm pro science all the way. Just feel like I, there's no way if I'm hanging out with you two, eventually I'm just going to fall by the wayside. I don't know what the next steps are. And so you have to be mean to us and make fun of us. Yes, that? that's when I start calling because y'all you're nerds. Scared, you won't be able to uh-oh, understand uh-oh, it. Oh, big brain nerd alert! Big, you know that's that's all I'm left to do, right? <laughs> because you're scared, you couldn't understand it, so you don't try. Scared that yes. First of all, I'm scared that I would look stupid, or it would just be me asking y'all questions that you might think are stupid um you know such uh-huh. basic questions or something like this so that's the intimidating thing there i think like uh for example we were, the one of the episodes was the the rickshaw redemption and it's about splitting time and uh or time space continuum whatever matt and i were talking about this before and i'm watching it and all of a sudden they make this casual joke about schrodinger's cat and i i, I mentioned that to matt and matt knows all about schrodinger's cat i i Maybe I've been told that about Schrodinger's cat before in my life. Zero memory, had no idea. So I went on Wikipedia. I was like, what in the world is Schrodinger's cat? And then tried to learn a little bit about it. Then it, it worked. Which makes it, me right. mad. It's, you know, in, in my view of a science educator, science communicator, it, it worked that you got interested in something that you saw and then went and, and looked a little bit about it and, and hopefully realized that there was no cat that actually was hurt or died in any of those. It was a thought experiment the whole way. Well, can we do this then and see how did it work and see it, if Toby can explain to us Schrodinger's cat then? <laughs> okay, so I went <laughs> so did I, I did it? I did research. That's everybody's research now is I was laying, you know, <laughs> laying in my workout clothes I didn't work out in on the in, using Google. But the internet research show that it, it basically this is all I I got out of it. That a cat could be alive or dead at the same time when it, in an enclosed box. Like in an enclosed box, you don't know that you put some kind of, I think they put something, some dangerous radiation 
Adam or whatever it was. I don't remember what you put in the box, but it was something dangerous that would kill the cat. But there's a certain the cat could be alive or dead, and you, you don't, don't know, and so that means something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's pretty good that's pretty good <laughs> but that's what i'm saying now what do i do with that i like the next step for me is to forget it because i don't no, know what no to no do. no no i don't know what you. to do you said you said it this is what's so cool about it is you got to that point and you said somehow it does that and that means something so right. the, you now just have new questions and those questions are how and what does it mean Right. That's just the next step for you. But the way to the value of trying to figure out those next steps, like what, how, I don't know why I would need to know more about it. Is that, that is the barrier for me as a, only as a because student. you're fascinated. <laughs> right. right. It, it's yeah. If you're not in a, in a formalized educational system, yeah, sure. It's, it is, it is kind of tough to see that it's, it's that, Oh, that phrase that my students hate lifelong learner. We're trying to make lifelong learners out of all of them. And you got a taste of that when you did look up, you know, the article about Schrodinger's cat. Um, you know, what do you do from there is find some more. And, and I mean, the, the Schrodinger's cat idea kind of gives birth to the many worlds hypothesis of so the many worlds theory of multiple universes that the idea with a cat in the box is that until you look in the box, until you open that box, that cat is in this kind of weird quasi space of being alive and dead defined by what physicists would call the waveforms of of the the different versions of that cat that would be in there and when you open the box the waveforms collapse into one and it's either alive or it's dead um the many worlds hypothesis says well why settle on one why can't it be both you see a living cat but then that means at that point reality split off and there is another reality with a dead cat and then it splits from there and it splits from there and it splits from there. I don't think that there's much useful you can do with that information. Um, besides just kind of understand the ideas of a multiple reality or a multiple universe a little bit better. Uh, but, uh, but you know, again, I, I look back at this, you kind of look at this as a little bit of a frustration. I look at back at this as, as a victory of you got a little bit interested in yeah. something to an, enough that you started looking looking into it for yourself that pathway has been formed and so what's the next thing that you see or find and i'm you know not just saying you because you get sure, an example sure. but just anybody else watching this show i think the link there too for me is okay so i like uh ha having good conversation hanging out with friends making jokes so i loved the idea the way that information was presented was in a casual joke where rick makes a joke about schrodinger's cat so that made me think oh that was could be funny if I knew what it meant, <laughs> you know, and, and maybe I could make a Schrodinger's cat joke. So that was, that was my next, you know, that was my next step with that. Like the information could be valuable in the right setting around a few people. You know what I mean? Like, like for example, if, if us three were out having coffee a few months from now and I made a Schrodinger's cat joke and y'all would get it. So that, you know, that might, so relationally that would be, but that's what I'm saying that the narrative of it, I think is what, what I love about the Rick and Morty. It just caught me off guard because I didn't expect what it was. And it's, you know, it, it encapsulates a lie. I mean, it's, it's really harsh. It's really strong. That's what I'm saying. Like you're a high school teacher. I love that you wrote about this book because a lot of people think it Rick's character's harsh, abusive, too strong, mean, you know, and that's what they think about nerds a lot of times. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, right. And, and he certainly has, has helped that 
those people who view him that way, he's certainly helped that uh, that image across where he does have times where he takes an aside and says, I'm the God of this universe. I know I'm the smartest one there is. And he demonstrates that <laughs> many different times. But it's also something that I address there I think, towards the end of the book of just if he does know everything and can do everything, what's the point? What's right. the point of it all? And, and I think I kind of came to the conclusion that that's the point of Morty. That you have to have this chaos then. You have to have this little little being in your life that you never know what they're going to do. Which, I don't know, we could go crazy and, and think of Rick and Morty as a very pro-life show about kids or a celebration of life. And oh, that's the, true. The, I never even thought but, about that. But boy, that's right. the weirdest analysis of Rick and Morty right. I think that's ever happened if we go that way with it. Well, well you're right, though, because when I was thinking about this show, uh, it's like Rick his anchor or the thing that actually matters is Morty, which is the thing he, he almost also yeah. hates. He hates himself the most, but, yeah, he, but he almost hates Morty because in a way that's the thing he does need. Like if you're a God and you're in need of nothing, why would this thing that you think is nowhere near as smart as you nowhere could do anything, can't help you at all. It's helpless and you need it. Like I, I like that aspect of it for sure. That, that yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. They keep the, the crack where Rick, kind of finally cracks they keep that very very rare it doesn't happen that often but every now and then you see that moment where rick does do the oh, and realizes i gotta save him i gotta get in there or you know you know i love this kid type of right. thing so yeah. oh man just talking about the rickshaw redemption i was telling that it's so funny like because rick mentions how much he's a god so much and he gives himself up for Morty in this whatever vast expanse that they they can't get back to one reality. And he goes, here, Morty, you take it. And he gives him the bracelet and he goes back into regular and Rick gives himself up. And then at the last second, he sees, he sees, the, <laughs> he gives, he gives himself up. Like he does like the Christ like thing in a way. And he gives himself up and then he sees the bracelet and he goes, Oh man. And he cry, He actually says, Oh God, please help me. He, he says, Oh God, please help me. And as soon as he gets the bracelet, he goes, fuck you, God. <laughs> like, like, but that's what we do too. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the, like people do the same thing. That's a harsh thing. And Christians don't, don't think they act like that, but it's funny. You even in your the smartest person, you think of yourself highly. Even in that that moment, there's a weakness there, and and that all this goes back to, and I think it ties in the same way with the science. It's just that it's telling you a story about humans, and all we are entrenched in science constantly. I mean, it's everywhere. It's not. I mean, it's not just in the tech. I mean, every no uh, our bodies, all of this stuff. And so, it. You're right. You made that point earlier. It's it's bizarre that we don't know anything. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, isn't it bizarre? I mean, like if. Like I think it's Joe Rogan that always says this though. But if I mean, if every if computers and phones got knocked off the face of the earth, can we go into the woods and build one? Who could? Right, right, right. It's the it's the the time traveler's dilemma of I'll go back in time, I'll go back into medieval times, and I'll be I'll be the genius because I'll bring I'll be able to invent all these modern things. Really. Really? Can you make an internal combustion engine that works? Really? You don't need the, you don't need two hundred years of developments kind of feeding you that information beforehand. That's a good one because people go, well, you know, but I I know that it exists, so we could build it. But all you know is what it's called. You don't know how it, you, you could right. if you could at least describe in detail how it works. Then you <laughs> could start a project to get materials or whatever you know. But the uh, thing that I think is kind of really mind-blowing to me that the way y'all talk about Rick and stuff, I, I wouldn't have thought of it on that level exactly, but him 
I understand where Toby's coming from on the character side of that, and so it makes me want to go the opposite way and not over-defend science because I think it's pointing at something really important, and that is science is full of big egos and people with God complexes that think they are better and are condescending to people. That is true. I see that, and I think a lot of scientists really do feel that way. And even if you take my normal thoughts and frustrations and take them toward turn them up to a million. Yeah, that's how I feel. That's how I feel. Like, oh my gosh, I, 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 you know, I feel like I understand something other people don't. They must be so stupid. And that's not, I mean, you know, or it, what does that all mean? So it just gives you all these vehicles to do. But I think a lot of the top way that people treat science is just totally condescending, you know, and I know yeah. those people have giant egos like out of control pastors or celebrities or politicians just in the same way. Well, see, yeah, I, I would, what you said there at the end, um, I wouldn't put that on, a you know, science. It's a science specific problem. It's a, it's a human specific problem. Mm-hmm. If I know yeah. or feel different than somebody else or somebody else doesn't know the thing that I know or doesn't, doesn't understand it in the way that I feel that my superior understanding of it is, then yeah, I can look at anybody else. And that's, again, it's not just a science thing. It's, it's a, it's an anybody kind of in any situation type of thing. But a lot of people that, for instance, if you're anti-science, that's a big cause of anti-science. It's, I'm not saying it's a huge problem that scientists act that way. That's how you get people that are scared of or anti-evolution and all that kind of stuff comes out of resentment towards these other people that are, that they rightly identify as sometimes full of shit and condescending that also have agendas. Those things all do happen, and then it can create the anti-science mentality. Uh, yeah, I think communication is a, a huge issue within that. I, I, I do think, though, a lot of the, the anti-science that you're talking about kind of is, is a little bit of projection um, mm-hmm. because a lot of the, the anti-science is based in fear of, um, well, I don't believe in that. Well, you know, that, that's not true. Okay, well, why do you think that? And you have to boil through a lot of it. But if you're talking about somebody with, you know, evolution's not true. Okay, well, why why do you think that? Because of this, because of that, because of this. Okay, what's what's really at it is if evolution is true, then my whole belief system is is wrong, or at least you know needs a major readjustment. And that's scary. That's scary to think that what I'm, you know, what's at my core might be not the right thing. And I think that fear, uh, hey, Yoda said it, that fear turns into anger. Um, and then that fear, I think, is the root cause of, you know, well, you know what scientists say. They're, they're this way. Yeah, some are. I don't, think, and I don't think anywhere near the majority of scientists no, or researchers right. are. But, you know, I think that that can be kind of a, you can, I've been called pompous by parents of my students and i thought i was just explaining something that clearly we had a disagreement on right you know once if you're not <laughs> if you're if you disagree with what's being said then yeah it, it opens both sides up to kind of apply whatever labels they want to the other i think one of the big things is i notice and i don't think this is just a southern thing but i grew up in the south so i can use this because i'm 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 a southerner but like you were you were talking at the beginning about uh you know, climate change, global warming, I guess the climate change is the right, and people don't say global warming as much anymore, do they? Yep. But w- within Australia, I, all of my family thinks that the whole climate thing is just a, the, those Democrats trying to hurt them. Right. So the, so the story, but that story is so good. 
That's why they believe it. You see, like they, they, yeah. they, they it's if, better if the, than the chart, right? It's better. And and then the guy on Fox News says, uh, uh-uh, there's there's actually more polar bears now. Told you. And they goes, well, there's one bit of information that I can refute that that person, that liberal, that bad that bad person is what they what they think, and that the the narrative for the conservatives or the Republicans or the people climate deny climate change deniers is that you are just trying to use it against me. How, how dare you talk to me about climate change when China's the worst offender? Go do, go start with them. Or, you know what I mean? Like the, the, All the stories there are so strong and so good that it actually hurts. Mm-hmm. When you say, man, you, you might be uh, part of the problem with uh, fires in Australia. How does like my you know, 67-year-old dad go, yes, you're right? He can't get there. How did that, that like that's what with Rick and Morty is part of that. I think is, is are, do you see that? Like even talking with your parents, uh, you have your students and stuff like that. Do you see people pushing back on some of the ideas just yeah. because? Yeah. Uh, well, I think, I think for the longest time and um, I teach a science communication class at Wake Forest university. Um, and, and the core of that kind of is, is trying to help with what you're talking about for the longest time. Science has been held like in a different view uh, um, in the United States. If you think of the scientists of the fifties and sixties, I mean, they, they were in lab coats, short buzz haircuts, uh, again, white males, but you know, they would come in and save the day. They would come in with the answers. They would, they would be the experts that you turn to. And that's, that view has shifted, but for a lot of scientists, their way of communicating what they know and what they've found out hasn't changed since that time that they were seen as, you know, the, the savior with the, let me explain it to you and I'll explain it to you and just fix it and then go on. Um, and so how we communicate science needs to change a lot. And so anyway, going back to the class that I teach at Wake Forest, it's, um, basically the, the crux of it is science needs story. You need story to explain yeah. science. You need a, a beginning, middle, end. You need to make it relevant, which, you know, is tangential to the whole Rick and Morty thing of it. It, it tells you a story. Sometimes it is science, really science-based. Sometimes it's not. Um, the, uh, is she Norwegian, I believe, or Swedish? The activist, the young girl, the 16-year-old girl, Greta, Greta Thunberg. Yeah. yeah. She is extremely effective. I mean, you, you can tell that, that she's really hitting some good notes, basically, you know, when, when the president in all his wisdom has to insult her personally, you know, punching down to a 16 year old girl, I I guess that can make you feel like a man. But when he had to personally insult her, you know, she's doing something right. And her original speeches in front of the groups that she went to, they were so powerful because she made it a story. She made the whole idea of climate change, a powerful, powerful personal story that reached everybody because she came out there and said, Imagine when I am, if I am lucky enough to live to be 70 years old, here's what the world will be like. And just went on from there. And you can't watch those early, early speeches that she gave without getting goosebumps that she just made it. You know, my grandchildren will ask me what the world was like before 120 degree days in summer. And I will have to tell them. And my grandchildren will wonder what this was like, what it was like when there were things called elephants, you know, and it was just powerful. And so that's what, that's what science needs to embrace again is, is finding a way to communicate better with story, making it personal, making it relevant. And you think about the, the, the big science communicators or the popular science communicators, and that's what they do. They make it relevant to the audience. They make it personal. 
They tell yeah. a story with it. They tie it to something that the audience already understands rather than just keeping it out there. And as I tell my, my, tell, tell my students in my class, there's nobody out there who's a climate denier or who doesn't believe in evolution who's just sitting there thinking, oh, you know, if I just saw one more graph, I would flip. That, right. that would be it for right. me. If I just right. had one more, one more scientific paper, no, you need, you need the story. You need the understanding. It's like, I mean, obviously in my job, I run into people that are, you know, climate deniers as well. Um, and, and one kind of approach that I found effective when they hit with, you know, like, as you were saying, here's the one little thing that just apparently tears apart your whole, your whole argument is, you know, well, the, the climate's changed over and over again throughout history. Sure it has. Yes, it has. I will agree to that. And that always unsettles them just a little bit. But then I'll add on to that of, yeah, it's changed many, many times throughout history. And every time we can point at something and say, this was the cause. It was because of this. It was because of this. And that's all we're doing now is this is the cause. This is why climate's changing right now is because we've been pumping out carbon dioxide into the atmosphere for 100 plus years and treating the atmosphere like it's our garbage can. And now we're paying the price for it. And we can either do something to, to change and hopefully mitigate some of those circumstances, or we can just keep dumping stuff into the atmosphere and, and think that something different is going to happen. Yeah. I think, uh, the other thing too, that is important. And one of the reasons why I love that you use Rick and Morty to talk about science is I wish the education could be a little bit more irreverent. Like, like, imagine i think matt you said this earlier when we were talking it, if rick and morty could teach science but people wouldn't let it in because maybe they use foul language or maybe he talks about being a god and people are scared you can't say that that that's against my god or my jesus or whatever like imagine if we're hurting people by not giving it giving it to them in a way that they could actually comprehend it like if you could show an episode and say watch this episode here's the things that actually are possible here's the <laughs> things that are fiction Imagine what that could do. What if what if that is more powerful than reading from some book that or that you know you just hear? Oh, yeah. Remember this, and because I mean you have to give them tests. They have to retain information. Uh-huh. I understand, and I understand that to an extent. But I I hate that, that we can't be creative. Like this is using creativity to to and they're using science. I forget how you worded it. It's using it as a toy. You said using science yeah. as a toy. I, I, I like I, I I like that. Like wait, now it's not so scary. Hold on. Yeah. It's your interface to, to, by which you interact with the universe. Yeah. And, and I mean, I do that a lot. My wife is also a science teacher. She teaches biology. Um, and she does that a lot. And we go to science teacher, science education conventions, conferences, and we go to comic book conventions and talk about nerd alert. (laughs) (laughs) I earned that one. Um, but we talk about the kind of stuff that we do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, well, hell I took, uh, a couple of years back, I took a physics class to uh, the, our own showing of Black Panther. Um, and the, I, the, the assignment was, I gave an assignment with Black Panther, um, that they had to identify a real piece of science in it and kind of work through a problem on it, identify a near piece of science, and identify or explain to me how science is integrated with the Wakandan culture. And it was taking that science you know, taking real science and seeing it in a different way, seeing maybe the potential of it. As I say in the book, I mean, I'm, I'm late forties. And if you look at, you know, JPL or NASA, it's, you find engineers my age, a little bit older, 
and they're all talking about yeah star trek star trek star trek made me think about going into space and that would be cool um i think the marvel movies are our star trek of this generation of yeah. you look at all the science and the tech in those movies and you have this new generation going that's really cool that's really cool i want to live in a world with that i mean we have cell phones in part because we grew up with a generation of people looking at communicators on star trek thinking i want to live in a world with those and so now we're all walking around with communicators and tricorders and pads from star trek the next generation in our pocket i mean i'm looking at a little replicators too yeah yeah yep exactly so yeah there's uh I, I mentioned in the introduction to my book, I, I think we imagine our future. I think we, we create the future that we want to live in. And science and story does a lot to inform us of what that future is going to be like. All right. That's I'd really be, fascinating. I, I'd be a little yeah. remiss if I didn't ask. So you have an awesome book here. So what, what uh, can, you, can you tell me what was one thing scientifically that stood out in Rick and Morty where you're like, oh, that is real and nobody even understands it? Was there an, an episode or a certain thing that, that Rick did or somebody that happened that you were like, oh, wow, this is crazy. They put this in the storyline. So much of it, there was a lot with, um, with topics that, that they mentioned and they, they kind of danced around and it gave me plenty of room to go into like clones or, or, or things like that. Um, gosh, now I can't think. I know there were a couple um, that were pretty much spot on. I, I think my biggest, and we've, we've hit on a couple of times, my biggest one that they, they play with a lot is this multiple universes. Yeah. I mean, these, and, and that is, you know, that it, it, we came across the idea in science fiction. It's, it's kind of like baked into us because we had the idea when we were telling stories about multiple universes, you know, either you fell down the rabbit hole and found yourself in this different world or, you had different timelines where you got to see what Christmas would be like if you weren't there and Christmas would be like if, if, and, and so we've told ourselves stories about different timelines and different realities for thousands of years, probably. And, and, and the thing is, has... those are real. Those are, those are real. And Rick and Morty use them. And it was just, it was a, I, I enjoyed yeah. the opportunity to get a chance to really talk about the science of multiple realities and multiple parallel worlds. Do you think the link there is, it's like you, it's not that the people who wrote it in fiction thought about the quantum level or knew about it, but it, it's, it's that, that did help our conceptual minds accept what the math was telling us eventually. Something well, so, more like that. Like right. just the fact that we'd all been imagining. We'd known about it us. for years. Right, right, right. I, I think, um, you know, if you're, I'm a huge comic book fan, obviously a huge DC comics fan. And they were, I mean, right now, if you watch the, the DC shows on the CW, we're halfway between Crisis on Infinite Earths, where they're going through, you know, all these different worlds and all these different versions of the characters. That's been in comics since the 60s um, and before, actually. And um, so, yeah, 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 you could, I think, in a way, science fiction can soften, soften us up to what's out there. Or if you want to get all meta and just kind of like have to lie down and think about this for a little while we're just little bits of the universe that is telling, telling ourselves what the universe is really like. So we make up these stories, even though we don't have the science to explain it to ourselves, we make up these stories about different realities because so that's baked into science. us. Yeah. And so also, maybe it, yeah. it's maybe an intuitive, like uh, understanding of that that is a possibility, thus causing, causing the investigation. That, yeah, like, again, you know, if you, if you go with the idea that, 
the the atoms in our bodies were made in stars and we're just bits of the universe that can understand the rest of the universe you know go with that bigger idea that well wouldn't a bit of the universe know what the universe is about and that there are other universes and let me tell you the story about how the universe really is but then again that's that's a that's a thought right there well it's neat because the story you have to get somewhere. So maybe you create something like, wait, I, I, I want the, to go here with the story. That's not possible in this reality. So now you're able to do something like that. For example, one of the storylines was Rick and uh, they have to shrink really small. Yeah. And like, and like, I don't know if scientifically if that's possible or not. No. It, 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 it's not. <laughs> I think there's a Matt Damon movie about that recently or whatever. Yeah. But like, like if that was possible, you could just shrink everybody and that would help solve global, you know, uh, climate change. Wouldn't it? Yeah. We just would make everybody real small. My favorite one with that is it would solve overcrowding, but um, the people that would love it the most would be like UPS and FedEx. Yeah. <laughs> shrink all the packages. Your, your shipping right. costs go right through the floor. You can ship a whole lot more. So you can't actually shrink somebody. You no. can't. That, that will never be possible. No, never, never. Or blowing something up. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. It's, it, that's where it rubs right against the, the hard and fast science of if I want to shrink something, if I want to shrink my body, how do I do it? There are a couple different ways. I can take out part of my body and then I'm smaller. Um, but what parts do I take out? Um, I like, I like all my brain. Um, I like having all the tissue in me to make my muscles. Um, so taking stuff out, taking mass out doesn't really work. If, uh, if I have like, Ooh, 10% less cells or atoms in me, some of those atoms do important things. Um, well, what if I just squish everything together tighter? Okay, that works a bit, but but I'm still if I have all the stuff in me, all the mass in me, and I squish it together tighter, then think back to old science stuff, mass over volume is density. I'm becoming more dense. So if I keep all my mass and shrink down from my normal six feet to you know that big, the size of the atom on TV or something, I would have a huge, huge density issue. I'd still have the same mass. I would still weigh about 200 pounds, but I'd be that big and I would fall right through this table and right through the floor. So yeah, yeah. that's you, your that's arm would still problem. weigh 12 pounds or right, 50, right. Four, oh, that's 25 crazy. pounds and you'd have no muscles to lift it because yep. you don't have any muscle mass. Yeah. So what can you do? <laughs> yeah. You don't have the leverage. I mean, you don't have it Yeah, Not to mention you'd fall through the table and then, yeah. you know, yeah, that's, that's one of those ones. It's one of those ones that, that Science fiction shows up all the time, right. all the time in science fiction. The Incredible Shrinking Man, going back to you know the fifties, and it's it's a wonderful idea. It's a great story, especially since you know microscopes got better and we saw the microscopic world that we never knew existed. But to do it is just there's there's some there's some I, brick walls there of science that will not let you go by them. I, I think one other thing too that was really cool is like I, I don't know if y'all if you think this or not, but it, it almost seems like an ode to the Jetsons is spacecraft. Like and, and I was just thinking back to the Jetsons and that was just you know, it was just everybody can do the sound of the Jetsons, you know, little little jet propulsion, whatever it is. I don't know what it is. It never explains it in the Jetsons. They just in the future, you know, and just everything just oh, is yeah. easy, supposedly. But I just think that that that's so neat. But I, I do wonder if, if I hope people will read your book and it, it may be, you know, especially fans of Rick and Morty, but maybe even people would read it and understand how important it is to tell the story of science. I really, I really think that's the big takeaway for me with this because that I never had a story with science. No, no nobody ever attached a story about science or anything with me. You know what I mean? Or even opened up that door. Maybe they 
Maybe there are. I I didn't even link it. Like y'all were talking about the combustion engine or something. I never linked that to science. That's what an old mechanic does. Mechanic doesn't think of himself as a smart person that knows some science stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. He doesn't know that, and so he always just thinks he's you are a scientist. I'm just some old mechanic and change a carburetor. But I mean, he's he's all over it. Is all over inventions and creation and all of that stuff. And just so, so the story there is really important. I'm, I'm glad you're doing that with your students as well, because that, that, I, that really is, I, it might be the most important thing. You're right. Because nobody, everybody's just getting stuff and not learning even what they have in their hands. Yeah. That's a, that's a, I mean, along with the story, the idea, and again, science, I think science and it being kind of out high school teacher, I know that there would be scientists and researchers who would be like, you're not a scientist. I've done my time in the lab. Um, you know, and so I came out to, to, to tell people about it in a way. I think science really kind of owns, has to own up to some of the, the misconceptions about science and, and, and research. And I, I think science hasn't done a good enough job um, as a whole, as a monolithic entity, I guess, if we, if we put it that way. And so, yeah, there's a, it's so much of what you're saying is that, that view of science, that it's just a, a list, an endless list of facts that we need to, to memorize. And one of my favorite sayings is that science isn't just facts. Science is a way of thinking. Science is a, if this, what then, if this happens, then what? And it's a way, again, it's a way of looking at the world and investigating the world. Um, but yeah, if we can get, if we can get people interested in it with story and, if it's fictional story, that's great. And once yeah. you start looking at science, you realize going back earlier to what we said of just science is made by humans and we're a bunch of weirdos when it comes down to it. And therefore there are all kinds of stories about weird characters in science. And even some of the most notable people in science were really weird and had their own peculiarities, which just helps people dig deeper into science. Right. Well, that's interesting is to go through it from the, like, you know, for Humanized. instance, Richard Feynman, Feynman is the best to go through oh, his, his biography and his quirkiness. Oh. He's my hero, the to- my total hero in the whole world forever. But yeah, yeah. Who yeah, are man, yours? He's awesome. <laughs> he's the best. But who yeah. who is your, and his biography and his way is so unconventional. And that is a way Wait. better way into science than start with molecular, whatever. So we'll see. Who hey, are the, go ahead. Yeah, I got, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. But even, even I've found in, in teaching with physics and chemistry, I mean, you think physics, it's Isaac Newton. You got to go back with Isaac Newton. And boy, have I heard some really, really boring talks about Isaac Newton and putting him in his place. But then when you think about Isaac Newton, of all that he did, his mother probably was what we'd consider like practice witchcraft. And his father was out of the picture early. And he may or may not have been dabbling in alchemy, trying to make metals into gold and all these other things that he did. Yeah. If you flesh him out as a, as a person, as a, as a, rather than just a guy that did something and wrote some laws, but as a person, when, when he wrote all his big books, the Principia, um, he wrote that during a summer that he had to escape London because the plague was coming back. I mean, now you can start to add little elements in just the story of Isaac Newton that turned into this weird mystery, sometimes adventure tale. Um, and he's just, you know, just one. You had um, Marie Curie uh, got in trouble a lot in the, the drawing rooms of Paris uh, because 
she would invite men into dark closets with her because she wanted to show them something special. That something special that she wanted to show them was this glowing radioactive substance <laughs> that she would carry around because isn't this amazing? You know, unfortunately, it ultimately gave her leukemia and she died. Um, but, you know, she was a character as well. And so I've found, again, you, you tell these people that scientists, you tell your students that these, these are just people. And they were weird. And so it, it opens them up. It, it kind of takes down the defensives that your students have or that other people have about, I can't understand this. There's no way I can get this. What? He did what? So. Do you know what's crazy about that is I had, uh, I never, I wouldn't have thought of it until this moment. I don't ever think about Marie Curie except for, I do know about her. I do know her story. And I had a biography of her in this thing that my, that when I was a little kid, like five and six, and I had all these different people and she was one of them. So I just, I've always known her story, but I never I hadn't thought about it in 20 years, really, you know, or it doesn't come up often, but yeah, I mean, just the exposure to that in that form, I already knew the story because I had, it was in one of my little books when I was a kid. I remember it now. Yeah. And, and science historically, again, kind of calling a spade a spade when it comes to science, we have, we have a hero problem. We, we like to cast these scientists, these researchers, these pivotal people as, as lone wolves, as heroes that did this stuff themselves. And they were almost saints and, and angels that walked among us lowly mortals. And it's like, no, they were, they were just people with all our, all our peculiarities and our weirdness and, and goods and bads. One of my favorites is, um, Fritz Haber, the, the guy who, weaponized gas in world war one and he was just he had all kinds of insecurities and wanted to be a soldier but wasn't accepted and ultimately invented the gas and was responsible for the deaths of thousands of soldiers and his wife was a noted chemist as well and he went to tell her they were having a party at their house in Berlin. He went to tell her that we did this and it was wonderful. And she said, no, you can't do this. This is not what chemistry is about. You can't, can't do this. And he said, eh, whatever. And he went down to the party. She retired to her bedroom, pulled out a handgun and shot herself in the chest because she didn't want to live with that anymore. And you think Fritz Haber would just do the, oh my God, what have I done? No, he was out the next day went to the Eastern front to see how the gas worked on the Russians. And wow. so, but, but then again, Fritz Haber invented the Haber process, which creates ammonia out of nitrogen in the air, which he wanted to use it for explosives, but ultimately is used for fertilizer, which makes soil that otherwise couldn't have anything grow in it fertile. And so through that, he fed ultimately was responsible for feeding millions of people, wow. but for his gas, he killed thousands of people and ultimately he died a man without a country because nobody wanted to take him in on that note could you tell us uh and i, I think our time is up so i want to make sure to tell your book and your website is the science and there's, there's a bunch of more things there and if there's anything else you'd like but i'd like to know who you think are the best minds uh today or recently and of all time do you have any lists like that when you're talking about all these people and characters who who, who have the best minds that you know about that are alive today? Who do you think the smartest people are? Um, I think, well, and put it in this way of like for, for a more general audience of being able to kind of, um, grasp what's going on in, in, in kind of the bigger picture. I think there's a physicist named Sean Carroll, um, who does a lot of kind of 
big picture stuff um, to try to bring it down. Um, sometimes he's very successful at, at bringing stuff down to a, a understandable level. Other times he's not. Do you think he's one of the smartest people in the world? It's that's a tough call. That's a tough yeah. call. It, it, it gets weird to me when we we start lining everybody up because yes, he's he's incredibly smart, but I'm not sure I'd take you know I'm not sure I'd want him to change my oil in my car. Um, <laughs> right. So he's incredibly smart in the in the niche that he's in. Yes, but just these all around kind of Reed Richards of the world that are know a lot of stuff about everything. Yeah, maybe not. Um, I think Elon Musk is fantastic. I think he's a he's he's very smart. He knows how to put together teams of people to do to to bring the future closer. Um, he I makes think, it fun and cool too. Like it, it yeah. feels a little irreverent. Like I was saying. Yeah, I, I think history needs uh, the world needs game changers like him. And you know, we're not in a position to see if he is a game changer. If he isn't, but he has the money and the oomph and the vision to to do it. And so we need people that disrupt things like that. Um, yeah, boy, gosh, I think figuring out the smartest people or people that I watch. That's not a great question. I, I don't think smart is a, uh, is a, is an axis to really divide on, but I'd just say best minds, like most impressive mind is really what I'm getting at. Like who are yours, fan Matt? Of their mind. Matt, who, who, uh, who was... Well, I think Sean Carroll, that's what I, I think he's a tremendous communicator and he's chasing one of the most important things in that multi-dimension thing. He's, he seems to be committed to popularizing that notion just like Matt's talking about that, yes, you can accept conceptually multiple universes and move forward. And he's really succeeding right. at, at causing people to understand that. Yeah, so, Brian Greene is another one. Um, Brian Greene is a physicist who does similar types of things. And there are plenty, I keep, I'm getting a little bit, us centric on that stuff and there but there are plenty elsewhere and there's lots of interesting stuff being done in in all these other fields um and i mentioned a few here and there in the book as well of just of cloning and and things like that just we're at the edge of so much i have a lot of just science communicators that i like to follow as well um just go out and start looking for that that uh, you'll find you'll find your fill rather quickly well, Matt, we really do appreciate you being on here. Your book is called The Science of Rick and Morty uh, and The Unofficial Guide to Earth's Stupidest Show. And uh, we really do appreciate it. Uh, thank you for spending time with us today. Uh, uh, my pleasure. I, I, if I had one takeaway, it's that probably it's like organic chemistry is difficult and those who study it, those who study it have all kinds of trouble. Oh. oh, that was a joke there at the end. I, I saw that. I was trying to be cool with y'all. See? <laughs> I can't yeah. even get the Alkine joke. I don't know. I think I, I think this big nerd club is going to throw you out. <laughs> so I, I got to go play football now. No, Matt, thank you so much. This was this was really great. Thanks for spending cool. some time with us. Sure, sure. My pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Toby. We think your attempt at humor, um, like Xenon, was very noble. How about I that? Get, I don't get that one. I don't know. I think I was like a noble gas and had no reaction at that joke. I know that. I know that oxygen. No I know that if oxygen, <laughs> if oxygen and potassium went on a date, it would be okay. <laughs> All right, Ooh. Matt. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Toby, that was a great guest. I'm glad that you found the interest. And yeah, he's awesome started to come that scientific way just a little bit just a little more open 
I like. Yeah, it. I, I I tell you, after this conversation, I am really interested. Ha- breaking that barrier, that wall of that's what I'm. It feels intimidating. Like he was just listing off uh, something about ammonium or something gas or what I don't know. See, I can't even remember right now. He's saying you can but, synthesize ammonia by just taking nitrogen out of the air and using right. It for and he was plants. talking about the guy, yeah, and the guy that did that and all stuff. Which I I'm like, that's so cool. But I, I don't know. Do you have to just have an innate desire to remember that or want to know it? Like no, I think no, it's really I don't cool. Think, no, I think that's not required whatsoever. I think those are not even on in the realm of what makes somebody learn to remember that. It's just if it's fascinating to you, you'll remember it. Just like you do but sports I, I, stats. But or if I needed but, fertilizer, I was sure would know it probably. Well, right maybe, or something. Maybe not. It's more like sports stats. How can you know who won the World Series in X year? It's a technical right. fact list. You just care. And that's you all. Just have to have it's interest. just but, fascinating to you, and that's it. Nothing. But else. how do you make something fascinating to everybody? Because if everybody well, was you, fascinated and interested in science, the world would be better, right? Well, that's what we're talking. That's that's what we're saying here. That's I mean, science class ain't the way. Apparently, Rick and cartoons are that say the worst words imaginable and and, and are horrible. Maybe that's yeah. the best way. That's maybe the best way. If it is, shouldn't we do more of that and meet in the middle or something? I mean, that's that's the project. I think. Yeah, that's I what's think interesting. Thing with, with Rick Straight and Morty, though, the way. Rick, Rick and Morty, though, my dad can't watch it because Rick calls himself a god. Well, there needs to be thin, ten thousand shows trying to do that, and one of them will speak to your dad. Right. I mean, you know what right, I mean? Right. It's just yes. people, more, yes. more people create more stuff is the answer, like you know, like we said the other day. More people creating more stuff for whatever it is in their context, because the context is what's important. Rick and Morty is science and stuff like that in the context of something that you want. I mean, that's all. It's the context. Once that's created and you're comfortable in a, uh, uh, that's why they have FarmersDating.com uh, and Bumble for Reva. Right. Now, now Reva <laughs> happens to have the overlap of both. She's both a farmer from Iowa and a, a millennial that lives oh, urban. Oh, yeah. She, so. get, she gets everything. So there you, it's a number What is it? Farmers only? She can do farmers yeah, only farm- and Bumble. It's no big deal. But that's, you need both, and they're both the different context of the same right. exact thing. So, All right. Let me ask you a question here. Uh, I don't I do not think <laughs> that go. religion is really far off from science, but it's been pitted against each other. I think, exactly. They're I after think the religion same thing. Is, is trying to just explain our reality, our world, why this exists, why it looks <laughs> like this, all those things. That's exactly what it is. But somehow science, which is doing the exact same thing, the big hiccup is. They one says, "Oh, God did it." As long as you can say God did it, if you said God did it with every science thing, right? God, God did the ammonia thing. I think if you could just if they if Christians could just get past that for a minute and say we don't have to say God did it, we'll just we just all sure, and then just every you know or whatever. Like then you could maybe get to the meat of it, and those those Christians would maybe go with you. They're you're totally right about that. They're good. They are interested. I think. They they see the same thing that, right. that okay, and I can tell you what it is, and you might want to pause and go back to our last episode, but uh, it's what you describe as transmography, transcendence. That you're both trying to figure out something right. more from what is here to the next thing above it. That's what right. it is. It's mind blowing if you experience it religiously, scientifically, fact based, bottom up, technical. Break. You know, you learn all this technical right. stuff, and then one day your mind is capable of understanding a concept that it previously wasn't because of all the technical stuff that you didn't know was related and then it does relate and then you're then you have a new 
then you it's a it's a it feels religious. I mean, that's what Sean Carroll is trying to get to. This is what these people are doing. They're looking for the limits of our universe and what's beyond. That is the drive. Right. It's not about science and school and teaching and that. It, I mean, the people that are really into it, it's a it's a mystical. Uh, it's a it for sure. The people like it's a mystical approach, a mystical goal to it. Really, yeah, like. It's just what's at the limit. Yeah, it's if like I really a journey, go all the way down to the bottom of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And you can be done from the middle where you are all the way down to the bottom. Like if you can just fig- right. keep chasing, keep asking why and finding it, oh my gosh, it, you'll get somewhere. And I think we, part you know, of the problem, the, too, but part of the issue, though, here, though, is the, the story of God has been said, don't go after that knowledge. It, you know, like, stay, you know, the, you, once they start mm-hmm. telling you that, you'll get away from God, which I understand. That's even the idea of Adam and Eve. I was talking to my kids about Adam and Eve, and they said that they sinned because they ate the apple. But the truth is, it was this knowledge thing. That all of a sudden, they knew more, and then they maybe they needed God less or something like that. That that's the little well, bit. Well, that's of, I fear think, stuff. I, I think, mean, that's right. You know. So, but but that's what I'm saying. Like somebody, well, I always think about my family members and why they wouldn't want to know more. But they, they are. I mean, well, you do know why. Are, so you're Christians are fascinated like by dinosaurs and by seven days of creation. And I mean, it, like they are, they want to know science, but they, and the reason for it, and the reason they're so interested is to shut those smart liberal scientist yeah. folks up. So they have a, they even have the reason for it, but it's, it's all, uh, it, 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 it hurts them. It, it's self-inflicted pain of having to try to make stuff fit with your God so that you can refute something that somebody's actually dedicated their life to. You know, and Matt yes. Brady's dedicating his life to trying to find real information. He's not trying to say there is no God or that you're, you are the most evil person when it comes to climate change. It's just like he said, we can just point to stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. I, 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 I was a climate change denier, global warming or whatever. And, and there's plenty of stuff, the plenty of facts I put in quotation marks to, to help me prove my point in my head and in my circle, it's easy. No, you know, if, if I around these parts, not a lot of people are worried about climate change. They, 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 ain't, they ain't thinking about it at all. And he was talking about Greta Thunberg. I was going to interrupt and say, it, I understand it's Greta Thunberg means a lot to Matt Brady, but to like my family, she's the enemy. She yeah, is the enemy. They're glad right, they, they might the, be glad Trump was mean to her. The only thing is yeah, I didn't that, want to bring that that up, but that's a I, I, that's that's where I get that's just but, where something goes haywire for me there, and I didn't want to challenge him on it. And I understand his point of view. His point that I take is he's and right. Everybody it meant a lot. It, it is special. She is really a wonderful container for a message. It is right. true that the things she's able to hit on and communicate in the package and context that she is is massively effective effective for advancing a certain message. I yeah. think it's all at her own. I think it's a, a, a crime, really, maybe legally or or something, to put a child in that position that the that it's going to any position that would solicit an attack from something like Donald Trump or all of the red states in America. Like you, that's what's so dangerous. How does the it's, child it's, it's handle like, that? Right. It, no. Well, there's no way to handle it, and it won't it be can. good. Right, but right, it's right. harmful and traumatic for her, no matter what, and should never happen in my view. However, it's advancing the cause very well, and that's all. That's the. Th- that's what's wrong with that's. That's the hardest part about the world. Kind of, uh, it's a martyr, martyr. Yeah, yeah I, and I guess we need it or something. But right. I'm not saying it's not effective, or something. But I'd rather her be a soulless robot. Covering that message would be, make me a lot more comfortable. <laughs> you know, right? Instead of a human. Yeah, that can and, take and, and 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 the reason that message will, of hers is so resonant. Pain. 
The other problem is it's her message is on the side of aggressive and it there's an element of how she's crushing people or being so strong or dramatic that just like that one side does, they like that it's feels damaging to the other side or indicting. Right. Like they the 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 you know, and you can see the, the liberal side who cares about the climate still you can tell gets delight out of the same as they like when Ben Shapiro t- destroys liberal student. They love it when sixteen-year-old right. autistic girl destroys. That's why they're all yeah, they're listed what, that Christians way. or whatever. I mean, it's it's not that's that whole territory is, is unfortunately the battlegrounds now, and that's it's way better to make cartoons. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I know. And jokes, way more inter- I think are way better ways. I don't think those are the best. Oh, ways. it's way nicer. It's way nicer for sure. Yeah. I'll tell you where we drew some battlegrounds uh, is anybody messes with the BC club. If you, if, if you got something to say against the BC club, will you come to my house in Charlotte, North Carolina? You say it to my damn face. You say this damn I, face. I, I love these people and they care about science and they've done, uh, they've done the deconstructing and the reconstructing and the, and the sticking with God and the leaving with God. And they bring up good topics and good conversations and they support this podcast and we love them and we appreciate it. So if you got a, Fucking bad thing to say to them. You got a fucking bad thing to say to me. <laughs> and I'm going to read some names of these, these motherfuckers now. We got Lauren Sholly, Carolyn Zepp, Jacob Tucker, Jeffrey Williams, Chad Haggood, Haggard, Michael C. Franklin, Justin Sider, uh, Michelle Rick, Rickert, Rickert uh, and Trevor A. Kaiser. These people, uh, thank you so much. You support this podcast. You get to the, these folks get a episode basically every day. We do a daily dose episode, which we go in depth on some other thoughts and ideas. And you find out a little bit more about daily life and all kinds of stuff. And then you get early information about like the BC con. We're going to be telling them that pretty soon and all kinds of stuff. So there's a lot going on. How about BC 69 access to that that community? So I imagine some of these people have done that to join. So, you know, at the end of the yeah. episode here, feel free to mention BC sixty nine. I think the start date right. would be close to now if this is yeah. being released when I think it is. It might so. be now. Um you can catch up too. if you're behind, no big yeah. deal. Check out the BC sixty nine. If Matt, you, you made a really good point. You're talking about mental fitness. And I was mm-hmm. gonna I, I was gonna say too, even if you don't want to do the physical component of it, I, I think you should. I think everybody knows they should do some kind of physical thing. Maybe you're already doing physical stuff. This could be a real time to be use the BC 69 as a way to get more mentally fit, like really, really maybe commit to some stuff that you haven't committed to and just go along with us. It doesn't have to be that you lift weights. Maybe yours is, uh, getting off your phone as much. That's going to be one of mine or maybe reading more or listening to lectures or do it, you know, whatever, whatever you want to do, take up a new hobby, study science, like maybe commit to something for 69 days that you haven't in a while that you always said you were going to learn the fucking piano or a language, learn 10 words of a new language or something like that. Mental fitness thing is real and it is unbelievably important. And that will get you the physical fitness. The mental fitness is the key component in all of this. So I sound like I'm mad and preaching. I, I don't do whatever the hell you're going to do. You're going to do it anyway. But <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. So. Yes. So at BC69, being a 69-day behaviorally led uh, challenge in community to change our behaviors around physical and mental stuff in order to increase discipline and our ability to conquer more important and deeper tasks. Something like that is, is, is how I would say it. But we do it with a community uh, in there, and it stems from the BC Club and whatever. That's enough info about it. But I uh, that's it. Uh, you were talking about these people 
and doing their deconstruction and made me want to think of a joke, but I can't totally formulate jokes as fast as you. You can help me with it. But it's something about the deconstruction is a terrible name for the guy, Jim Slathers, who started his construction, his Christian signaling construction company (laughs) with the six other people that were deacons at his church. He started a business called Deconstruction. Yeah. <laughs> it's deacons that build houses. No, yeah, yeah, no, right. no, yeah. You're you're onto something here. What what do you call when you like you know like uh when they when they blow up buildings and stuff like that? He just he's a Christian and he wants to honor God with his business, but he he's a demo, demolition. Well, that's demolition. Person. He does demolition. But I'm saying but, yeah, deacon de- and oh, construction. Deacon. <laughs> Because he's a deacon at church. So deconstruction was his thing. Deconstruction. He came out with it just before the buzzword got popular, so it really backfired, you know? So his last name is Struction. It's Jim Struction. It's it's, it's a bunch of deacons at a church started a construction business together because, you know, like Christian plumbers do. Deconstruction. Yeah. Deconstruction. And build your house for the Lord. To build your house for the Lord, but the Lord's people, the deacons, you know? <laughs> no, that exists. That's a good and one. And I believe That's it got in my head because he said Wake Forest. And you know what Wake Forest mascot is, right? Demon deacons. The demon deacons. See y'all. Sometimes you're